0: Hey, thank you for joining us on one of our webinars. We're going to be talking about how accredited investors fit into your team. Uh, I'm Tom. You can find me at CannabisIndustryLawyer.com. And this is our YouTube channel, Cannabis Legalization News with Cannabis being spelled with a broccoli emoji because of the censorship that goes on. Uh, And again, uh, let's get to the presentation. This is about accredited investors. So we're going to talk about accredited investors. But if you guys have any questions about the industry, please head over to CannabisIndustryLawyer.com and then search or fill out the form or give us a call from there. Anyway, let's share this. This is me, my contact information. Um, You can find me on Instagram at lawyer. Uh, Email me at Tom at Cannabis... uh, Actually, it's Collateral Base is the name of the firm that I work with. And so Collateral Base is the firm, Cannabis Industry Lawyer is the blog. Uh, And then you can find me online, again, at CannabisIndustryLawyer.com. Today, we are going to be talking all about how accredited investors, and sometimes I will refer to them as AI, not artificial intelligence, but accredited investors, how you can use them to get into the cannabis business. And so we have a picture of that accredited investor right over there. Look at him. Big fat guy chewing on money. Knows what he likes. And that might kind of portend, that is a verb usage for the day, uh, that there is uh, some elements for this. An accredited investor might be what we call in law a legal term of art. And that's true. It is. So uh, do I go over it here? No, I, I talk about investors a little bit and how they can be mythical beings that help cannabis companies get operational. It's very important that your company has sufficient Uh, Capital and investors are one way to access that capital. We are going to talk all about it and how these accredited investors fit in to your capital stack and why every cannabis team needs an accredited investor. uh, Unless they are come. I'm trying to figure out the unless on that one. I don't think that it's a wise unless you should have one. So what is an accredited investor. It is, of course, a term of art. It is defined under Reg D of the Securities Act of 1933, and that is uh, SEC regulation 501. It's updated all the time. It was just recently updated. Uh, I want to say in 2021, and so it does have income levels because uh, what's an accredited investor supposed to be? An accredited investor is supposed to be a sophisticated investor, somebody who can afford to lose the investment. Because if you ever really appreciate an investment, I don't care if it's Bitcoin and NFT or a share of stock, they can lose value. And the accredited investors are supposed to be sophisticated and wealthy enough to be able, so it doesn't matter as much as those poor, hardworking people that just don't happen to make over uh, $200,000 a year. Now that's that's individually. If you have a spouse, then you can go up to $300,000 a year for joint income. And it can also be if you just work in the financial industry. So I used to have a series seven and 66 licenses, looks like I'll be getting those again. Uh, And that would uh, entitle me to the accredited investor, irrespective of the amount of income that I earn. Now, you can also have a lot of money. And by that, I mean, your your net worth can exceed $1 million. Here's a fun fact. Uh, Approximately 9% of the United States are millionaires. So that means that just by the wealth alone, 9% of people that you see on the street in America would qualify as an accredited investor. There's a small caveat to that. You see the it does not include your primary residence. And so your primary residence very often is the largest asset that most humans have, I'm sorry, most Americans. Uh, and, and so that may not apply. So if somebody's a millionaire, it might also be because they have $300,000 of, of equity in their $600,000 personal residence. And so that wouldn't count toward that million dollars. Now, you can also be special in the sense that there are certain entities that can qualify as an accredited investor. For example, private businesses with assets over 5 million, they can be an accredited investor. You can also be an accredited investor if you are a manager or a director in a company that can entitle you to be an accredited investor. Now, accredited investors, though, do not include special or specific Purpose vehicles, which are also sometimes called SPACs. So you cannot create a company for the specific purpose of purchasing other securities and be considered an accredited investor. So, again, that is not my opinion that you read this in Reg D under the Securities Act of 1933. And they update this. You know, the SEC Rule 501 was most recently updated pretty recently, about I think 2021 or 2020. So uh, the accredited investors, now there's an old saying, he who has the gold makes the rules. And that's very true for the accredited investor. Uh, they have the money and they might have the money for doing uh, the launching of your business. For example, we have some, some hypotheticals on here. Uh, this is going to be a hypothetical $10 million startup cost, and you're going to build a Ten thousand square foot indoor grow and one dispensary in a highly regulated state like a New Jersey, like a Michigan, like in Illinois, like, um, you know, a state where you're going to have a lot of security and a lot of uh, setbacks and zoning requirements at the municipal level. So you have to, you know, keep it clean. Make sure that you uh, aren't aren't slacking on anything because the regulators are watching. This is not Florida. Uh, so that uh, investor, that accredited investor will allow you to access the debt markets and how you, can you access the debt markets? Maybe that accredited investor will purchase some securities from your cannabis company uh, or give your cannabis company a loan, which may convert into securities. And by securities, I, I typically mean the definition of securities under the um, the act of 1933. Uh But that's a very broad definition. So like in theory, uh, a promissory note wouldn't count as a security, but a a bond would. And they're very similar. That's what an accredited investor can do for your cannabis company. It can help you access the debt markets and also purchase your LLCs or if you are C-Corp, your securities. Uh, Let's discuss that in more detail. That's right, and I've belabored that point. Accredited investors can't help you get a loan or buy securities. Loans, yes. Yes, there are actually cannabis loans. Uh, They are not uh, cannabis loans that you would get from the bank down the street. They are cannabis loans that you would get. You, you can find the lenders very often online. Uh, some of the lenders are actually some of the banks that I see, and these are credit unions very often. Credit unions have a different federal regulator than most federally insured financial institutions do. Uh, and then there's private equity firms that have large pools of capital that they're seeking to put to work, and, and very often they are lending, often for double-digit interest rates, to the industry. When safe banking happens... It'll still probably be there. When it's descheduled or rescheduled, then you'll see banks starting to actually provide uh, such services and maybe even SBA loans. Those types of things don't exist right now. But you can get construction loans uh, as a cannabis company. You can get uh, inventory loans. There's all sorts. There's direct lenders that are out there. Uh, and by a direct lender as opposed to a loan broker, the direct lender lends from their capital to the borrower directly, hence the name. A an accredited investor can help your team access these types of financial products that would be off limits to you if you just didn't have the money, you know. Equity financing. What is equity financing? That is when you take the shares of your company, and this is why you need a financial model. Or uh, if you're already operating, you need to look at your P&Ls and then you have to review those to see where you can shore up the balance sheet uh, and have a better cash flow position, which would allow for a higher multiple uh, of your valuation. And so a higher multiple, they, they calculate valuation very often of a cash flow pursuant to discounted cash flow analysis. And as a result, you're trying to make a lot of free cash flow. So if you're sucking up a lot of the money in your cannabis operation, and now you're looking for an exit, you might want to clean that up a little bit before you sell it. Stop taking so much cash out of it, you know. Uh, And how or why would this be important to an accredited investor? Uh, Because those cash flows are where that investor can see its return. This is one of the reasons why we spend a lot of time making financial models over a collateral base so that we can show the investor, the accredited investor, what you're going to get, what we have an estimation to believe your return is going to be. And of course, in the documents that we'll talk about later in this broadcast about actually selling the securities, we will call these numbers arbitrary because Mostly they are. They're pro forma numbers and pro forma numbers are for the sake of form. These are the estimations that you've made, but they're your estimations. They're a little bit arbitrary. And your and the reason why you say that is so that the investor doesn't say that they were misled in the future. There's a lot of risk protection that you do when you're. Raising capital in this industry because you never want to have somebody to come back against you and say, like, hey, I never would have invested that money, or you screwed this up and you invested the money incorrectly. Uh, That happens a lot more in Oklahoma than in other locations, but just because there's a lot of investors there. Uh, An accredited investor can help your cannabis company get through that debt underwriting process once you have found a creditor in private equity that will lend to your license. Uh, it's, it's very difficult to find that first. And then that creditor is going to ask for what your personal financial statement and what is a personal financial statement and why do you need one? You need a personal financial statement for the same reason that uh, a business needs a balance sheet, because it allows the creditor to see what is there in case something goes wrong and how do they get paid back. So your personal financial statement will show all your assets and all your liabilities, what the cash value is, what the non-cash, because like real estate's not cash. You know, securities, thickly traded, public securities. And by that, I mean like the S&P 500. If you're listed on the stock market, those are liquid securities. You can close that position. And then very quickly, that'll be turned into cash after the settlement date, which doesn't take very long. You list a piece of real estate. For uh, sale, it could sit on the market for months. You can't access the cash until then. Uh, But they would still go on your personal financial statement balance sheet. And then you'd still be able to have equity that creditors could glom onto through a second mortgage, for example. They never really like second mortgages. Creditors like to be first. But still, you'd have something. Uh, And accredited investors, because that they earn a lot of money or they have a lot of money, has a lot of something to bring to the table for when you are trying to calculate in your financial model how much capital you need down to be able to become operational. So uh, that is something that's quite important about the personal financial statements. Make sure that you have one. And your team needs at least one accredited investor, if not more. More accredited investors, more money, more people that can make a capital call and write a check or access some of their assets and get credit on those. For example, a large brokerage account. You can borrow against a large brokerage account. Um, And and so that's, that's the thing. When you're putting together your team, make sure that you think about how many accredited investors you have on it. And if the answer to that is none, uh, you're definitely going to be raising money. If the answer to that is one, and that accredited investor only has like half of the cash that you need to be able to access the debt markets so that you can get the financing and get open for business without going through that cash burn, you need more cash. Uh, and that's why you're going to want to have a good financial model and offering uh, for selling the security that is the membership interest in your LLC or the stock in your company uh, to third parties and that want to get into the cannabis industry and that are accredited investors. Okay. Hopefully that is starting to become fairly darnly obvious. Uh, the five C's of commercial credit. I, I like going over these and, uh, They're just kind of like a checklist for you. Uh, These are what bankers are looking for when you get a loan. They're looking for the collateral. They're looking for the capital skin of the game. They're looking for the conditions. For example, like your financial model and business plan might explain to possible investors why it makes sense, why the time is right for now. This particular license, this particular piece of real estate, this particular municipality is only going to allow this one license in this particular location that is zoned this and we own it or we have the contract to buy it. Wow, that's competitive advantage, right? How does it make sense? Character, uh, you know, you don't want to loan to somebody who's one of those businessmen that is reimagining the deal after the deal is signed. You don't because it's like, wow, that person didn't keep their word at all. They just said whatever they needed to get the money and then they immediately defaulted. That gets into fraud stuff. Uh and then of course, capacity. Capacity is the fifth C of commercial credit and that fifth C is for can you cash flow? Do you have flow, as they say in Chicago? Uh, And that just basically means money. Okay, uh, where do you put an accredited investor in your capital stack? Uh, You know, everybody needs an accredited investor because they have money. That's why you would uh, have one on your team. But what type of equity do they get? And what types of equity comprises your uh, LLC's interest, and what do I mean by that? I mean, like, when I say like a security, I mean that it is a right to something, and, and a membership interest or a share of stock is an ownership right in the company, or the, they're both companies. Or one's a corporation, one's an LLC, uh, and, and that right allows you to have perhaps some control or uh, some right to distribution of profit. Uh, and so, what? type of profit or distribution can you have? Uh, And that's what this capital stack really demonstrates. You see, all the way at the bottom is the least risk. That is debt. Debt is always paid first. Creditors are always paid first before shareholders. All right. And so your senior debt very often means a creditor who is in first position. All right. What does first position mean in secured transactions? And secured transactions is essentially a business deal where you have collateral. And what the name of our company's collateral base? It's like we know a lot about this. Yeah, we do. It's what we do. We spend all day talking about collateralization and cash flows. Uh, weed is involved. Interesting. So uh, you have to look at that senior debt, and senior means who's up to be paid next, right? Uh, and then there's priority levels in collateral. Uh, and so you really want to be a first priority creditor. Uh, that is going to be the uh, lending institution that has financed that particular piece of the deal. So let's say it's the equipment financing, right? That that financing company that that loaned you or leased the equipment or like gave you the equipment on financing. So here, sign here, put this much down, make these payments on a monthly basis. Here's the interest rate. Those guys, they have what they call a purchase money security interest or a PIMSI. And so they are in first position, they own that debt. And so they're going to take that asset. And then if you still owe them money after they get a judgment against you, then they're going to be a, a judgment debtor, which then can file a judgment and attached to other assets, but they have to wait in line if somebody else is already there. Uh, Then you have your mezzanine debt. Uh, Mezzanine debt is what you would call it if it's in a bond. And so like a bond is different than a loan. Uh, A loan's interest is usually paid monthly or quarterly or monthly payments or quarterly payments. A bond's interest is paid biannually every six months. And then you pay that interest or the coupon or the, the percentage rate on that bond Every six months until maturity and at maturity, you give a whole of money back. Mezzanine debt, however, may have uh, more like a convertible aspect to it. They they slap some rights to allow the amount that's owed to turn in to equity because they have a warrant, which is the right to buy stock at a particular price attached to it. The difference between a warrant and an option, the warrant is issued by the company that owns the stock. An option is typically issued by a market maker. Uh, And then you have your preferred equity. Preferred equity is a little bit lower than the common shareholders, the ones that control the shareholders. Uh, The preferred shares, they're usually limited partners and they have a percentage uh, interest that they will earn every year. And they are the first profit that gets to be taken. For example, let's say you had an 8% profit uh, that year. Right. And so 8 percent of it. And then the uh, uh, preferred equity holders had an 8 percent amount that they are owed um, on their uh, their rights. And so like they are going to be able as they declare a profit and you had one, they're going to get that 8 percent first. And so they're going to soak up their pro rata share of however many shares they own. uh, And then that money and then that 8 percent on that money. And then you can go up to common if there's any money left over. And they can they could be printing money. And then after they pay their preferred, they get to keep you know, 30%, 40%. And everybody's happy. The creditors get paid. The mezzanine debt holders are watching a company become more valuable. So they're going to be more likely to convert their warrants because there's more likely than not that they're going to be in the money. The preferred equity holders are happy because they get... Uh, a safe return on their capital that they've invested with you, who's really great at this cannabis business, by the way. Thank you. Uh, And then you have your common equity holders. Those are the people that are controlling the company and then taking the vast majority of the profits, all the profits after the preferreds are paid. That's your capital stack. Uh, You should have one. You know, uh, the, There's mom and pops in the industry, but then most of the industry is in middle market. And so that's between two and $50 million a year uh, on top line revenues. And that's really where corporate really starts to come in because that's enough money to start to need financing, especially if you're like a small vertical. You have two dispensaries and 20,000 square feet of cultivation space. Those dispensaries you might have, you know, three or four million dollars locked into and that 20,000 square feet of cultivation space, six or seven, maybe more. Uh, And and there you go. I mean, you you have debt. You have investors unless you were able to strike a check, but uh, then your team was completely accredited investors. So that's what accredited investors can do. Accredited investors can open many doors to cannabis license holders. Very often the social equity conditional license holders, these accredited investors are so important uh, because they may not be able to get open for business without one. Uh, They very often are bootstrapping and that just basically means paying uh, out of their own resources as opposed to using OPM, which means other people's money, and making these types of complex uh, financial models that allows you to say, here's these cash flows. You know, We're going to have these preferred shares. We anticipate being able to make all of our uh, preferred payments because our cash flows are going to be this. Here's our, our model that says that these numbers are what we anticipate, but of course, they're arbitrary. They're just pro forma. And maybe be able to get capitalized and then acquire or at least lease that uh, real estate and acquire the or at least lease the uh, or or rent, not rent, finance your equipment that you need to be able to uh, get your modular build for your grow or your extraction facility or maybe even your dispensary open. Accredited investors, don't forget to put one on your team. So, now you have found a credited investor, and you want to shell, you want to sell shares or maybe membership interest. And what's the difference between shares and membership interest? Shares would be if you have a C corp. Remember, uh, S corps can only have one type of stock and only a hundred shareholders. C corps can have different types of stock and more shareholders. And LLCs can do whatever they want; they're very flexible. So. How do you sell stock or membership units in your cannabis license uh, before or after it's been awarded? After it's been awarded, you've already been granted perhaps a conditional right. And now you have to get operational, perhaps because of the social equity structures that you have uh, or uh, the in-state residency structures. You still have considerations that must be paid to the uh, the organization, that you have. So you still may have to have like a 51% owner that's from a particular location or that qualifies as a particular like social equity priority to be able to have a valid license. right. But you can have a lot of different assets in that model because that model might have equipment and real estate. And so that allows the accredited investor to come in and perhaps form a new entity for the purpose of acquiring this real estate and these, these equipment and financing that and then injecting that debt into, uh, your LLC that has the actual license and getting you open for business. That's the real exciting thing, uh, that the, the sale of the securities can now, when, or how do you sell stock in your cannabis company? Uh, very often you need to follow one of the safe Harbor exceptions under the securities act of 1933, which means that you need to have, um, what they call a safe harbor under particular provisions of regulation D. There's a couple of these provisions that do the vast majority of all capital raises uh, that are done besides like, you know, publicly traded companies. So stuff that you don't have to file in the Edgar, Edgar database on the SEC, for example. These are private placement memorandums. Uh, or I'm sorry. These are private placements. And very often a private placement memorandum is what they call an offering memorandum and an offering memorandum in its most uh, familiar case is still quite alien to to most uh, people because they may not have a lot of stocks that they own. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. But if you buy a stock, you need to get what they call the prospectus of that stock. And that explains everything that uh, the stock has, its risks and all that. You have to disclose all these types of things. Um, And as a result, very often, if you're doing a large raise and what's a large raise, a large raise would be over five million dollars. And then in cannabis, let's say a large raise is over yeah, five million dollars. Uh, Then you may want to have a private placement memorandum that's very detailed and quite like a prospectus uh, if it was a public stock. And it might be 60 pages long and make a whole bunch of disclosures and describe the management team and who they are and describe the opportunity and what it is uh, and and the offering and the share price and how they calculated this and what their reasonable expectation of cash flows are and disclaim all the numbers, of course. But uh, that's one way. You don't always need a private placement memorandum. Sometimes you can get away with what they call a subscription agreement, especially if you're in an LLC. And most of you guys are in LLCs, I would imagine. So a subscription agreement is an addendum to your operating agreement that you'd have for your um, governing the control of your company, your LLC. That's what the operating agreement does. Like if this was a corporation, shareholder agreements, bylaws, stuff like that would govern the the goings-ons and the carrying-on of the business entity that is respected by our government. I mean, you can have a Coke, can sue Pepsi, even though Coke and Pepsi are not humans, right? Uh, They are comprised of all these contracts, and so is your company. It's comprised of all these contracts, one of which, if you're trying to acquire – new uh, equity holders, new shareholders, or equity holders, I guess is better simply because it's usually going to be a membership interest, um, a unit of membership interest, they call it. You would want that to be done correctly so that you don't get sued for rescission. And very often, you tune into our uh, upcoming litigation webinars where we'll cover rescission uh, and other things. I was just looking at Berner's uh, licensing agreement. We'll cover that In theory, there could be lawsuits over licensing agreements. But uh, if you're going to be raising like less than five million, you know, less than three, between three to five million, flip a coin if you want a PPM. uh, You still are going to want like a very large subscription agreement that describes the offering, that describes the management, that describes everything, so that it is compliant. Uh, And then when you raise the money, they also have to check all these boxes that describes and affirms that they are. A, uh, accredited investor and why they're an accredited investor. So these are some of the things that would go into like uh, that offering, uh, that memorandum that you would use to sell shares or units in your uh, uh, securities, in your company. And so that would be your initial offering statement, you know, executive summary. Here's what the business is going to do. Your offering summary, this is what you get. And this is one of the, like LLCs, they can have different flavors of shares. Uh, so can C-Corps, S-Corps can't. And so you can, you can create different offerings. And we're going to go over all the different types of securities that are out there that companies have in their toolkit to just sell. And a lot of people just might not know that, you know. Uh, and then, you know, subscription procedure, here's how you make your investment. And the investor suitability standards, risk factors, income tax considerations, operating agreement, uh, investor questionnaire and purchase agreement. Yeah. The purchase agreement is very often uh, always, always there as well. Cause they are going to be buying that, um, interest. And so they, these are a whole bunch of the securities that you can, you can buy, uh, or you can issue. And so like a company could just not, not an S corp of course, cause an S corp has a lot more, restrictions on it, but like a a C Corp or an LLC, they can, they can issue all sorts of different types of shares, right? They can, they can issue, let's zoom in on this, the common stock, the preferred shares, the C class shares, C class shares are interesting. That's how you can uh, have a dilutive voting share. So like Google and other tech companies do that with like C shares, they call them. Mezzanine debt, you can issue bonds. These bonds can have warrants attached to them. You see, it's um, it's a whole hodgepodge of different rights that you have that you can sell you know, from your company. And so your company has all the rights, you know, and and all the, the membership units and people very often just kind of oversimplify it. And they just see it as 100 uh, percent. They just they see the world through S-Corp lenses. But the world's not an S-corp and the cannabis world is certainly not an S-corp. And so your accredited investor has the ability to come in and have different um, rights in your company than just anybody does. Uh, And so you can make a deal with them that can be custom to that accredited investor. Now, very often they're going to want control. And they're going to want control because, especially if this is your first rodeo, this is your first license, you've never run a business as complex, and you're asking for $3 million in cash so you can turn it into like $10 million in debt, of course they're going to want control. How are they going to be able to get that money back? How are they going to be uh, assured that what you're doing is going to be successful? Especially, remember this, two-thirds of businesses fail in the first five years. Just saying, uh, there will be a lot of turnover in these licenses and a lot of consolidation, M and A, and and buying and selling of these licenses. And how can we help you over there at the uh, collateral base? Well, what we like to do is we start with a capex evaluation, uh, and so this is where are you? What license do you want? Uh, and then from that, it's no, no. Where are you? Uh, I got my real estate broker license, and I would then look at the available real estate you have to then confer with the zoning regulations and the what the municipality's temperature is for that particular license in that area not only that capex what type of cultivation are you building if it's you know and the real estate play and and a lot of people say that cannabis is a real estate play it's going to be different if you're in the agriculture side or the manufacturing side as opposed to if you're in the retail side you're looking for something else so first we say, what do you want? And then we find that and understand in a ballpark enough to go to our next part, the financial model and our investment deck for our business plan. Now we know what you have uh, or what you want to build. And so because we know what you want to build, we know about how much it costs and what its cash flow potential is going to be. If The dispensary will find you a comparable dispensary and we'll say, OK, uh, based on our models that we will be making, you know, that's the financial model that we would make. Uh, we'd say, all right, well, we think it's going to do this much top line and this much bottom line. And then the cash flow is worth this based on discounted cash flow analysis. And then once we have those two things, we really know what you're offering to your investor. That's when we'd be ready to start with the application process, you know, setting up the LLC that will be the license holding entity and uh, going through the application itself. This can be uh, extremely complex in this sense, like right now, Alabama's on. Uh, Illinois was also very complex. Florida's gonna be, I think, forthcoming. That was a fairly complex one. If Arkansas legalizes it, I can see that being a limited market and and complicated. Then there's open. Uh, New Jersey's open, Michigan's open, Uh, Massachusetts is open. That doesn't mean that it's cheap to get a license there. You still have to build the stuff. It just means that you have a lot more competition. So it's even more important to be adequately capitalized and have some good investor relations and some great offerings that your company would be able to make for other people. And so very often the um, like the PPMs, because uh, they 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 describe the offering. The subscription agreement is more like, you know, checking boxes and you're going to be buying this and you still have to disclose everything. Uh, otherwise, they have that rescission risk and you can't just waive that. Uh, And as a result, you know, you can really understand from doing that due diligence as to the real estate and the capex and also the cash flow potential, what is going to be available for an investor to glom onto and make a reasonable return on uh, without uh, completely derailing your plans. But these investors, they are going to want control, uh, especially if this is a new entity. Uh, I can take a little bit of questions. There's not very many people on this. This one was not uh, as well attended as the other one that was more generic. But I wanted to do a couple of various things, and I think I got what I was looking for. And uh, hopefully, if anybody does have any questions, let me know. If not, don't forget to tune in to Cannabis Legalization News on Sundays, and I'll see you at the next time. It is 420 somewhere. Ooh, ooh. Right. hola. your putz.